Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Justice. But I will say we are not powerless in this situation. We're not going to cede our rights that easily, despite the best efforts of the politicized Supreme Court of the United States of America. We have the power of the pen, and I just want to read some language here. Apparently, the Supreme Court has now decided with this far-reaching decision that the two-step standard that had been in place since Heller versus McDonald, where they analyze the Second Amendment, where it combines history, we have a history, yes we do, but also means and scrutiny. Does the means of the restriction justify the infringement? And most people would say, yes, we have a right to protect people from gun violence. But in doing so, you take away people's rights. And what the Supreme Court said in the Bruin decision is no. The Second Amendment and the 14th Amendment engage a protection of those rights, and those rights exist in the home, outside of the home. Those rights cannot be burdened by the state saying you have to prove your rights, because once you have to prove you have a right, it no longer is. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It is good to be with you. 833, got Tony is the number, 833-468-8669. It wasn't the Roe v. Wade decision today, but it is tremendously important. The New York Bruin case, B-R-U-E-N, 6-3 decision with Justice Clarence Thomas writing the opinion. Historical analysis can sometimes be difficult and nuanced, but reliance on history to inform the meaning of constitutional text is more legitimate and more administrable, administrable, I should say, than asking judges to make difficult empirical judgments about the costs and benefits of firearms restrictions, especially given their lack of expertise in the field. Clarence Thomas laying it bare. In a 63-page opinion, 130-some-odd pages altogether, 63 pages of walking through historical context. Guy Relford joins us right now, just off doing some fill-in radio work. The 2aproject.com and, of course, the host of The Gun Guy Show, Saturdays 5 to 7 p.m. on 93.1 FM WIBC. And before we get into some specifics here, just an overall, how do you feel about this decision? Um, I love the decision. It's really what we expected Tony, looking at the constituency of the court, um, and particularly after the oral arguments, I mean, a lot of times people caution against drawing too many inferences from oral argument, but it was very one-sided, and you could pretty much count votes, I think, after oral arguments. Um, So it was exactly what we expected. Um, As you mentioned, I've been on the radio all morning, so I'm really looking forward to to going through word by word this entire opinion and the dissents and and, and really deciding exactly how far-reaching this is beyond... Uh, holding unconstitutional the law in New York and, by implication, the law in eight other states that requires uh, some special need above the the mere desire to protect yourself and your family in order to carry a handgun in public. Uh, Nine states, including New York, have those laws now, and uh, they should all uh, fall by the wayside as a result of this decision. There's a lot here that makes you wonder exactly how states 
will need to change. Now, what you heard there was Kathy Hochul, the governor of New York, and I'll get back to some of her words in a second. But first, maybe a, a bit of a definition. This case, New York uh, New York versus Bruin, or was it Bruin versus New York? I never remember. This was, was um, about the idea of who can get the ability to carry a firearm. Break down what this case was about and what the larger argument is. Well, the the states, um, in terms of handgun licensing, because all 50 states and District of Columbia all have some licensing now, and, and several of them, Illinois and D.C. included, had to be ordered by the courts to license um, their own citizens uh, to carry a handgun in public. But there's really two systems. There's may issue and there's shall issue. Uh, Indiana, for instance, uh, and set constitutional carry aside, we've had a shall issue system since 1980, when the courts, by the way, compelled us uh, to do so in a, in a very similar decision to what we saw come from the Supreme Court today. But a may issue system means that there some government official, and it could be a county sheriff, it could be someone in the state police, uh, but some government official has discretion to assess whether you have a sufficient need to carry a handgun in public that warrants the issuance of a handgun license to you. And this is not merely a general need or desire of a member of the public to keep themselves and their family safe in public. It's a special need above and beyond the general need to defend yourself. Um, so I have to show some active threat against me. Uh, I've been a recurrent victim of, uh, of robberies on the street because I you know, carry you know, jewels to and from my jewelry store, who knows what. But I have to show some particularized exceptional need beyond the general public to defend myself before I get a license under this New York system. That's a May issue system. And the court correctly said that when a government official can scratch his chin and say, mm, no, you don't have a particular need to exercise a constitutionally protected right, then it's no longer a right. It's a government-granted privilege, and that's not allowable under the Second Amendment or the Constitution generally. Now, one of the things that was said by Justice Alito, in, and not Justice Alito, Justice Thomas, uh, Clarence Thomas, in his, uh, in his opinion, uh, that the, uh, the states, including New York, that had to use proper cause requirements may continue to require licenses for carrying handguns for self-defense so long as those states employ objective licensing requirements like those used by the 43 shall-issue states. That's that's Thomas saying this is the way it works. Please don't bring it back to us again. Exactly right, and 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 they can have again to to his point a licensing system like Indiana does and has for a long time. In other words, you, you don't get a license if you're a felon. You don't get a license if you've been adjudicated to be mentally ill. You don't get a license if you're a convicted domestic batterer, even as a misdemeanor. Um, so you can have those object, objective criteria, but you know, assessing need to exercise a right, that's not objective. That's discretionary uh, on the government's part. That's not allowable. Talking to Guy Relford, constitutional, Second Amendment, I should say, Second Amendment uh, lawyer, RelfordLaw.com, and the founder of the 2Aproject.com. Let me give you a little bit more of Governor Hochul here, because there's something very specific that she says, the governor of New York, where this took place, that I want you to hear. Listen. Shocking. Absolutely shocking that they have taken away our right to have reasonable restrictions. We can have restrictions on speech. You can't yell fire in a crowded theater, but somehow there's no restrictions allowed on the Second Amendment. This is New York. 
We don't back down, we fight back. And we'll be alerting the public, the media, in the very short term, exactly what our language that we've been analyzing, we have language we'd like to now enact into law. We'll be sharing that with the leaders. And I'm sorry this dark day has come. They were supposed to go back to what was in place since 1788 when the Constitution of the United States of America was ratified. And I would like to point out to the Supreme Court justices that the only weapons at the time were muskets. I'm prepared to go back to muskets. I don't think they envision the high-capacity assault weapon magazines intended for battlefields as being covered from it, but I guess we're just going to have to disagree. Now, it was Justice Alito, in a response to the dissent Guy Relford, who specifically addressed this issue and said that the the Second Amendment says the right to keep and bear arms, not arms of the 18th century, thus taking this Kathy Hochul, Governor Hochul argument, the argument of so many on the anti-gun side, well, they meant muskets, and just ripping it asunder. The New York's going to come back, though. New York is going to pass legislation. We are going to have this fight again. Oh, yeah, and we've been down this road before. This all happened in exactly the same way in District of Columbia um, because in the original Heller decision, you know, it came out and said you can't have a total ban on handgun licenses. And so, the, the, and, 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 and so they, they removed the total ban, but they took, put such unreasonable restrictions on them um, that we had to go back. And that's why we had Heller 2 and Heller 3. Uh, and then on the licensing outside the home, um, they had some training requirement that was completely unreasonable and expensive and burdensome, and we had to go back, and we fought it again. That's what New York's going to do. Um, they're going to go kicking and screaming, but they're going to lose uh, the, the, the war um, as well as many additional battles on this point because the Supreme Court is going to continue to rule as they did um, in previous uh, cases, including in Illinois. Um, that was at the Court of Appeals level, also at the Court of Appeals level in D.C. We fought this battle before. Um, she's going she's gonna to lose at the end of the day and, and simply cost the taxpayers in New York a whole bunch of money in the process. I don't think she cares if she costs taxpayers <laughs> in New York a whole bunch of money in the process. Now let's see where this uh, plays out. You've been paying attention, of course, to the U.S. Senate, uh, supposedly uh, a deal on guns. You have 14 Republicans who went forward with this. John Corner of Texas, Lindsey Graham of South Carolina, Todd Young right here uh, in, in our beloved Indiana uh, going uh, forward with this. Oh, boyfriend loophole conversations, uh, utilizing dollars to help states expand uh, red flag laws. Does anything within this decision today, this 6-3 decision from the court, to say that you can't have a two-pronged test uh, for giving people the right to keep and bear arms, You have, as long as they can pass a background check, you have to be the one who issues them the opportunity and the ability to do so. Uh, is there anything within that legislation being discussed by the Senate that gets changed or becomes obsolete or problematic because of this decision? I don't think so, Tony. It's a great question. Um, I think the most likely impact, um, if this bill is, goes forward and is passed into law, is going to be when states adopt uh, a particular red flag law, as, as they're being incentivized to do or, or some funding is being provided to help them do, 
um, through this legislation, um, then the, 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 the actual composition of those laws that they may pass restricting rights or allowing seizures, um, those may be molded to some degree by the language of this opinion, but that's pretty abstract and that's down the road. I, I don't think anything um, is uh, going to be directly influenced. Uh, and by the way, I ha you mentioned Senator Todd Young. I had a long discussion with Senator Young last night. He called me and, and wanted my input because I had expressed some dissatisfaction with his vote to, to proceed past debate and, and allow a vote. Um, and he immediately called me and we had a long discussion and he's, 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 he's laboring over his decision. And I think there's at least some possibility that even though he voted to advance it beyond debate, um, he, he, he may be fighting to either change what we've seen in the latest draft um, or may not support it on the floor. I, that's not a prediction, and he certainly said no such thing. But I think it's a very tough decision for him. So I, I would expect— So you don't know if he's all of a sudden a no vote, no. even though he allowed the, the debate to continue? No, I, I, don't, I, don't, I, I would not say that in a million years, and he didn't say that to me. But it was, it was interesting to me and very much appreciated by me that he reached out and he wanted information on the boyfriend loophole, on red flag laws. He wanted more detailed information from me on that. And we had a, we had a long conversation and it was, it was great that he was seeking the dialogue and, and it told me he's still in information gathering mode, which means uh, at least it's an open question what his final vote on the floor will be. Let's go back to this uh, decision here uh, in, in Bruin. Uh, B-R-U-E-N. Uh, one of the conversations here from uh, Justice Thomas is that there still could be restrictions on firearms in what can be described as, and I'm quoting here, sensitive spaces. Mm -hmm. So the conversation of government buildings and the conversation of schools. There's an argument that uh, that could mean that you could uh, try and expand a sensitive space, but uh, Thomas discusses this. You can't decide that the island of Manhattan, talking in, in the New York conversation, is a sensitive space because because a lot of people live there. Is there a, a legal framework on this concept of sensitive spaces? And do you predict there are going to be a lot of challenges to what that becomes to try and implement more gun laws? Yeah, I think that's where states are going to go. Um, and that's why uh, Justice Thomas uh, was was so prescient in 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 using that language to preempt, you know, that attempt to declare the whole island of Manhattan, for instance, as a sensitive place. But I think I think that is where folks are going to go. And no, to answer your, your, your question directly, we don't have any direct definitions of what's allowable and what's not. And, and states dra uh, vary dramatically, state to state, on, on, on those rules. Um, some states, for instance, say you can't carry a gun uh, in a sports stadium. It's illegal. Uh, Indiana has no such law, even though um, sports teams themselves can prohibit firearms. Uh, it doesn't make it a crime to carry there. Movie theaters, some states say it's a crime to carry in a movie theater. No such, no such law in Indiana. So there's a lot of discretion that's been allowed and thus far on states defining what's a sensitive place beyond schools and, and courtrooms. Um, and I think that's, that's where you'll go in response to some of this uh, exactly. And I think we'll have more litigation on that issue as well. And we may come out with some kind of a definitional test to say, okay, you can, you can define this as a sensitive place based on some objective criteria and not you know, every place you want to simply because you're trying to restrict the Second Amendment rights of law-abiding citizens. Before I let you go, Guy O'Relford, the 2aproject.com. Uh, uh, let me bring it to a, an Indiana 
conversation, Mm -hmm. which has been the conversation of constitutional carry, which was signed into law by Governor Holcomb. And it was a question here, which is kind of stunning. And you've heard people say that by having constitutional carry and not having to have a permit, you're making it easier on criminals and we need to have these permits. There's been this whole uh, conversation. Does this Bruin decision now render the the creation of the law here in Indiana of constitutional carry uh, prescient, meaning uh, this is clearly the way we're going, that the Second Amendment and the Fourteenth Amendment give you the right to keep and bear arms, and that the entirety of the permitting conversation is one that's that's up for debate, or is there still a, a worthy legal framework somewhere for some states to say, no, we want the permits? Um, yeah, I mean, because of the language that you quoted out of the Thomas decision, um, that you know, they, they, there can be still be licensing requirements and based on objective criteria, and that and that means it's a shall issue system. That is, unless you're disqualified, you get a license. Um, so, so I don't think it casts any doubt on licensing as a whole. Um, and but but was interesting, you know, looking back over the debate on constitutional carry. We had people get up and, and testify uh, against constitutional carry at the same hearing where I was there to testify in favor of it. And they come up and they say, well, we don't know why they even call this constitutional carry, because there is no constitutional right to bear arms outside the home. And uh, and even there was a particular IU law professor who um, is aligned with Moms Demand Action, and she always begins every one uh, of her uh, testimonies uh, before hearings with, with that premise, and and she'll she'll quote these court of appeals decisions um, at the, in the lower courts before today's decision in support for that. Well, that argument's gone away. Uh, there is a right to carry outside the home. I don't have to listen to that dribble anymore. Um, and uh, and it, it does make what we did on constitutional carry that much more supported because we named it constitutional carry because the Constitution gives you and me and every other law-abiding citizen the right to carry outside the home. Um, so the Constitution says I can carry outside the home. I shouldn't need a license in addition to that. At the same time, we've always said that there's nothing unconstitutional about an objectively based shall issue system like Indiana has. Right. So I've made the point multiple times in hearings to say, I'm not telling you telling you you have to pass constitutional carry, General Assembly, uh, in order to be constitutional. I'm telling you that as a matter of policy, you should choose to. And that's where we are now across the country. Guy Relford, the 2A Project.com, RelfordLaw.com. I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, we're going to have more uh, on uh, this as the days and weeks go forward. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. We're also taking a look at the Supreme Court decision about North Carolina, 8 1 decision. Sonia Sotomayor, the only dissent. She, man, her dissents this term for Justice Sotomayor off the freaking charts. This is about whether or not legislators can advocate for legislation in a a, kind of like an official way if, let's say, an attorney general or governor aren't doing anything to enforce the law. It's kind of fascinating. Meanwhile, they've made a decision in Uvalde, Texas. We go to a reporter from San Antonio for the latest. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today. The news broke yesterday that Uvalde school police chief 
Peter Ardondo was being placed on administrative leave. 19 children murdered, two teachers murdered, and questions about what the police did or didn't do. Entering, not entering, waiting, saying they were waiting for keys when keys weren't necessary. Then you have the entirety of this uh, state senate hearing. And even the mayor of Uvalde said, I don't know what to trust. You've come up with multiple conclusions. I want the Department of Justice involved in this. Tony Katz. Tony Katz, today, it's good to be with you. Jay Avila joins us right now, Emmy Award-winning investigative reporter with News 4 San Antonio, San Antonio, Texas, News number 4, SanAntonio.com. Uh, Jay, you were the first person I saw break the news about uh, this placement on administrative leave. Did that come from the Texas Public uh, Safety D- Director, or did that come from the city itself? No, that actually came from the school district. The uh, It's called the Uvalde uh, Consolidated Independent School District. And so the superintendent there um, is the one who released it late in the day yesterday. And in that statement, he said, you know, look, I've been waiting to make personnel decisions um, until after the investigation is done. But I don't know when that's going to be, and I'm not getting much information. So I'm going to go ahead and put Pete Arredondo on administrative leave. Now, you've been covering things from San Antonio, not in, in, in Uvalde, which is a, a little bit uh, of distance from you, but certainly you've been uh, following the story. And, and when you are closer in proximity, you have a closer understanding of, of where things are. Uh, we see it out here in, 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 the, in the rest of the world as a clear blame on both police and specifically uh, Chief Arredondo, especially in light of those recent videos and these recent photos. How are our Texans uh, seeing this, and specifically the people of Uvalde? Is this a focus on the chief in terms of how dare you, or is this a how could the communication be so bad? How could these mistakes happen? Well, at this point, the condemnation of the police chief has pretty much been universal. Um, it's even there in Uvalde. In the first few days, there was a little bit of a circling of the wagons of locals saying that, you know, wait a minute, you know, Uvalde police and Uvalde schools are being blamed for this by um, the Texas Rangers, DPS, um, outside media and whatnot. But um, but now that more and more is being learned about the actual investigation where there's evidence of exactly what happened, now they're saying, yes, you know, that, that criticism here appears to be uh, justified. Tuesday night, there was a school board meeting and um, locals were there, um, some even relatives of, of children who were lost. And they were, um, you know, they were yelling and screaming for something to be done about um, Police Chief Pete Arredondo, who, as you know, had been previously elected to the school board. And they wanted him suspended from that position in some way that night. And um, and so you know, the outrage against him is is pretty um, unified. But um, there there are also areas that uh, where others have failed um, that have come to light in this Senate hearing. For example, I did a story um, here in San Antonio looking at, OK, do the doors to our classrooms lock from the inside? So in case is going to lock a shooter out and found that that, you know, most of the doorways, uh, most of the doors to classrooms in San Antonio don't lock. I did that story. And then a few days later, we found out, well, the, the doors in Uvalde didn't lock from the inside. 
And so now, you know, um, yesterday, our head of um, head of education for the state of Texas, the commissioner, said that's going to be a priority is we got to fix the door locks on, you know, the uh, schools in 9000 school districts across the state. So lots of lots of blame being assigned across the board. Talking to Jay Avila of News 4 San Antonio. You can follow him on Twitter at J-J-A-I-E, J-Avila, A-V-I-L-A. That is where he is on uh, Twitter. Uh, you have the, uh, the, the, the mayor of Uvalde, um, opinionated guy, Don McLaughlin, um, who, who it has just come out, uh, they, want, they do want to demolish uh, the school. Uh, but saying that uh, the Department of Public Safety there is lying about the police response. He wants the uh, the Justice Department to investigate. What is his claim of lying? Where does he? What? Where does this come from? Well, his main complaints have been that they're not sharing information and that they're leaking information because the night before um, the hearings started on the twenty first. Um, there were actual stills of the security um, cameras that were leaked to certain news media in Austin showing um, that there were um, there was law enforcement in the hallways with rifles and with um, shields. And this is a claim that the chief, of course, had made, uh, Chief Arredondo, that he didn't have those things to um, basically uh, breach the classroom doors and whatnot. Um, so he was upset about the, the leaking. He does think to a certain extent that, um, that the Department of Public Safety, Texas troopers, who were also there within minutes and present in the hallway um, with Chief Adedondo, and he kind of feels like they are um, – the, the troopers and DPS in general is, uh, is kind of scapegoating local police and not being accountable themselves. So I think that's what has him – Upset. At the same time, the head of the DPS, who is um, technically a, a colonel, Steve McCraw, he he has been saying at these hearings that um, look, it's uh, nowhere in the training do we teach troopers to take control of the situation when they get there. Uh, that would be dangerous to self-deploy, as he said, and overrule the incident commander on the scene, who was in this case Chief Pete Adadondo. So. You know, you, you do have friction there. There's no doubt. You've got, you know, the city of Uvalde still, to a certain extent, wondering why DPS is um, condemning their law enforcement exclusively. I think there's a, a lot of us from the outside looking in, and I would assume from the inside as well. Uh, we've heard from uh, one mother uh, who uh, says that she was handcuffed. She wanted to go into the school. When they finally let her out, she did run into the school. That parents were prevented uh, fr- from going going in. And so the, 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 the blame, a part of this, uh, uh, towards police, that anger towards police, is that you stop the people who want to do something to protect their kids, but you didn't go in and protect the kids. Your conversation is about whether or not the chain of command can be broken. It's a subject that we've we've broached here repeatedly, and it's the place that gives me my most uh, consternation. I I find myself just beyond disgusted between uh, this and Parkland that there's a real issue with with police uh, response. Has there been within San Antonio or or throughout Texas uh, a further conversation about what police response actually means? Uh, you heard it was uh, the, the public safety director, McGraw, uh, there saying that since 
Columbine, the rule is, Steve McCraw, uh, the, the rule is to go in and disrupt uh, the shooter, uh, stop the dying, stop the killing, is what he said the other day. Has this been reinforced by whether it's the governor, the public safety director, or by mayors across the, the state? Um, well, we've heard that from a lot of um, elected, elected leaders, that they, they agree with that statement. Uh, we've heard from people who do active shooter training say, yes, that's a true statement. You have to, you know, even if it's one solo officer who gets there first, you've got to confront the shooter. And here in San Antonio, this is kind of rare. We've had um, our law enforcement leaders here um, second guessing and actually making statements. The sheriff here in Bear County and the um, police chief of San Antonio both did come out and say, hey, if it happens here, um, our guys know or they better know that um, that they are to engage the shooter and not sit back and wait. And, you know, even if that means um, usurping someone's command who is doing the wrong thing, according to training. Has there been any talk of, you know, we just saw the Supreme Court making uh, their ruling on the, on the Bruin case, a 6-3 decision, uh, about not being allowed to add extra steps in the state of New York uh, to people being able to get a, a permit to, to carry a, a firearm. This is not something that a state can do. It has to adhere to the 2nd and 14th. Uh, amendment. We've got the Senate right now uh, actively moving towards some gun control legislation. We're talking about boyfriend loophole, talking about uh, putting dollars to states that want to expand their their red flag laws, uh, uh, changing how they take a look at juvenile records when someone is under the age of 21, which could have applied uh, in the in the case in Uvalde. Is there any? Uh, what is the temperature in Texas about? changing gun legislation there is or is this a non-starter well i I would say that you know the the public here in texas is very similar to united states as a whole probably you know probably 50 50 as far as whether something needs to be done law-wise about um about guns but um but i'll tell you what is getting more attention in the uh, state legislature the committees here um there is a complete reluctancy to do anything about um, gun laws. They feel what needs to be done is to um, enhance the hardening of schools. There's a lot of um, talk about what can be done about that. Um, Shoring up training, that's another thing that's being discussed uh, heavily at the hearings. Um, Because, for example, I did a story that um, that there, there was active shooter training by the Uvalde School Police Department two months before the shooting. But it was taught internally by the instructors were were two um, members of the Uvalde School Police Department. So, um, you know, the school's commissioner just said yesterday, that's, you know, that's not that doesn't cut it. We need, you know, the top um, school uh, active shooter experts that we have uh, doing this training. And And it really needs to be much better than it was. So. I think in Texas, that's where you're going to see most of the emphasis go. I think there's going to be a lot of pressure also to utilize the Guardian program, which we have here, which um, which does allow um, certain school employees to be armed um, if they take certain training and go through the, the proper paperwork. So um, I don't think you're going to see uh, the red flag provision uh, if it passes federally. Um, I don't think you're going to see that activated here in Texas. 
Before I let you go, and I appreciate you taking the time, J.J. Avila of News 4 San Antonio, J-A-I-E, uh, J-A-I-E, Avila, A-V-I-L-A on Twitter, J. Avila. Be sure to follow him there. There had been talk that came out the other day about the shooter, and we don't use names here, and that's why I haven't used his, his, his name, um, that he was known to the community, known to be a problem, that there were teachers who were afraid of him. Can you confirm that, that yes, indeed, People knew that he was trying to be a, a social media star, that he was engaged in, in, in frightening people. There was a level of violence that was thought to be connected to him. Is that fact? Uh, yes, that's pretty um, well known among not only the um, people there in Uvalde, but also law enforcement so far in there. Um, online investigating, for example, um, he, you know, he was pretty much advertising it. Um, on and uh, they had one of the things they had talked about was that um, in their gamer communication, which you know a lot of kids uh, communicate while they're gaming through uh, kind of the chat function of the of the game they're playing, and um, in some of these gaming communities, he was saying there's you know there was evidence that there were conversations where you are kind of revered if you're thought to be a you know school shooter in training. There's there's that kind of creepy subculture going on where you know, very angry young people are talking to each other about, you know, school shooting, something being being something admirable. Um, there were posts on um, pretty mainstream social media platforms by him um, talking about, uh, you know, 10 days, 10 days left and people asking, what does that mean? And this was, of course, 10 days before the shooting. And so, uh, you know, there were definite signs there. But what um, Steve McCraw, the head of DPS, kept saying was that nobody reported. We've come across no, no evidence of ever anyone reporting this troubling behavior and the comments. And even the way he dressed um, was kind of taking on that uh, Columbine persona. Um, no one, you know, people noticed it and talked to each other about it, but they did not report it to school or law enforcement so far that so far they haven't been able to see any evidence of that jay i appreciate you taking the time to be with us jay avila news for san antonio news number four san antonio.com i hope you'll join us again really do appreciate you taking the time more coming up i'm tony katz Keith Olbermann is angry. Ah, I'm sorry. I'm in, a, I'm in a Twitter kind of fight with Piers Morgan, who I'm not mad at. He's just wrong on, on U.S. gun laws. He's always wrong on U.S. gun laws. Not everything. Piers Morgan, he's not wrong about everything. Like, for example, he's totally right about Meghan Markle. She's terrible. He's just wrong about U.S. gun laws. That's it. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. What's going on? Uh, Keith Olbermann who used to be a somebody, you know, he made like $7, 8000000 million a year with MSNBC. Just couldn't keep himself under control. It has become necessary to dissolve the Supreme Court of the United States because, of course, this Bruin decision, 6-3 decision, that simply states that you can't have a, a, a May-issue state. Really, that's how I would view it. You don't have to prove your need to carry a firearm. You get to carry one. The first step is for a state uh, 
the court has now forced guns upon to ignore the ruling. Great, you're a court. Why and how do you think you can enforce your rulings? Now, I believe this, right? Not with the Supreme Court, with every other court. What's the court going to do? But if you believe that you should ignore the court, hashtag ignore the court, I'm saying start with any court that forces DACA to remain in place. I mean, if we're going to ignore the courts, let's ignore all the courts. We ignore the Supreme Court, but not the Ninth Circuit? A lot of anger. Oh, I'm, I'm meeting up with a lot of people um, who are like, uh, hey, uh, uh, you'll, you'll think differently when, when it's your kids, meaning like if your kids get killed. And then I had one person who, uh, I, I wasn't going to go over it because I'm pretty sure they meant it in a threatening way. Or maybe they meant it just because they're a moron and it came off in a threatening way. I wasn't sure. I I wasn't sure. But man, oh man. It is... The the reactions, the the false uh, equivocations that, that take place. Remember that the Supreme Court looking at the Constitution isn't going to pay attention to the social situation in America. Because the Constitution has to transcend that. It says what it says and doesn't say what it doesn't say. And it isn't playing to the whims of things culturally. That's what makes it so great. And that's why so many of these people in your social media feeds are just so ridiculous. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz.